2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> Brother Hoyle mentioned a little bit about King Saul in the Old Testament not being ambitious about being king. This morning we're going to look at a man that was very ambitious. He's ambitious in his service for the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, that is, whether I'm with the Lord through death or the rapture, or I'm still here serving the Lord, we labor, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. That doesn't mean that he'll accept us through salvation. It's talking about our behavior, our conduct as his children. We'll look at that more. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. We commend not ourselves again to you, but give you occasion to glory in our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So the title of the message this morning, Ambitious for the Lord. Ambitious for the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege that we have to meet together and the safety and that you've given us and this land of liberty where we are still able and we understand that there's coming increasing encroachment upon our liberties, but Father, we pray that you'd help us just to be faithful, to keep our eyes focused on Thee, and to realize that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So help us just to rest and trust in Thee. And we pray, Father, as we look into the Word of God today, that we would be encouraged and strengthened and challenged in our walk with You, and Lord, to be in our midst, who have do not know the Lord as their Lord and Savior. Never been born again. I pray that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts and bring conviction and a Father and repentance and faith in Christ. So have your will and way, and may you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, some people are very driven in their pursuits of life, and we would say they are very ambitious. You know, ambition is a an earnest desire for some type of achievement or distinction. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious. In fact, it's a good thing to be ambitious. It's kind of the opposite of being lazy. Uh, so it's good that we be ambitious. But the Bible here speaks of the Apostle Paul, and he says that he labored, and actually that word labor means to be ambitious, to strive earnestly, to make it one's aim. And he said, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Paul was a very, we would say, probably of all the apostles, the most ambitious for the Lord. 
in 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So why was Paul so ambitious in the ministry the Lord had called him to? Why did he give his life so holy in service and, and a willingness to suffer for the Lord? What drove him or what, was, what motivated him to be so ambitious? Well, I want to notice a couple things here this morning. First of all, he sincerely believed the Word of God. Well, that's a very broad statement, but I'm going to break it down here for you. And really, this is most of the message. But as we think about him sincerely believing the Word of God, he, he, you know, part of that aspect is he believed that it, God was going to judge him in time to come. Notice verse 9 and 10 again. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, whether I'm with the Lord or absent from the Lord, here still in body, laboring, we labor that we may be accepted of Him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So he believed, in the, because of what the Word of God taught, that he believed that there was a judgment that he had yet to face. A judgment to come for the child of God, not for his sin, but how he served him as his servant, as the Lord's servant. You know, if we think about it, there, there's, there's several ways that the Lord judges us. You know, first of all, we were judged for our sin at the cross of Calvary. Jesus became sin for us. Verse 21 says, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. Our sin was judged on the cross of Calvary. And when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my sin debt was taken care of. No more to be remembered against me. I am a child of God. I am free from condemnation. I stand justified in the sight of God, declared righteous by God. And my sin will not be brought up before me again. My eternity is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. That day I received Christ as my Lord and Savior, I pass from death unto life. John 5.24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath Everlasting life. That is, right now I have everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. So, my sin was judged on the cross of Calvary. And then when I received it, it became my own. So, so our sin was judged at Calvary's, on Calvary's cross, but we are judged daily as sons. We are also judged daily as sons. Hebrews 12 tells us that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Every son whom he receiveth. Just like a father chastens his son. He says, he says, as unto children. See, when we become God's children, God loves us and desires that we live in a way that pleases him. And Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth betimes. That word betimes means often, early. 
You see, a father that loves his son is going to chasten him. He's concerned about the direction where this son's going to go in life. And so he's going to correct any error or anything that he looks that's going to bring evil or hurt into his life. He's going to try and correct that. And he does it by chastening. That's what God does to us. Why? Because he loves us. He wants us to have the best that he has for us. If God, you know, the Bible says there in verse 7, if God deal, uh, chasteneth you, he dealeth with you as with sons. As with sons. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Then it says, For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to go on a rabbit trail here, but my trail has an end, I believe, where he said in verse 8, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And the, the feast there, I believe, he's referring to the Lord's Supper. You know, they had problems uh, in the church. There was divisions. There was this man that was living in fornication with his father's wife, and and, and then they came to the Lord's Supper and they were defiling the Lord's Supper. And, and because of that, God was chastening the, the church at Corinth. In fact, if you, if you go to chapter 11, it says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And that word sleep is the, the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 4 where it talks about those that sleep in Jesus. In other words, there were some that had died. Because they had, they had, uh, uh, violated and, and desecrated the Lord's Supper. And what was God doing? God was correcting them. Trying to correct them from the error of their ways. And as children of God, you know what God desires is us is for us to judge ourselves by His Word and correct ourselves. Correct our errors, confess our sins. And he's faithful just to forgive us our sins. You know, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31. He says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You know, God doesn't want us to be condemned with the world. And so he chastens us. So we are judged daily as sons and as daughters of God. Because God loves us, He will correct us. We see examples of this in the Old Testament. Solomon turned away his heart from the Lord. God sent adversaries. Not because he hated Solomon, but because he wanted Solomon to turn around. Solomon, you're going the wrong direction. And you need to turn around. You need to correct the error your way. sad thing is Solomon just chased off the adversaries. It didn't correct his way. See, God, so God will judge us daily as sons. So that's, that's in the present tense. But there's a third area of judgment that is yet to come. And as, as children of God, as servants of the Lord, we will be judged at what is called, referred to as the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what's spoken of here in verses 9 and 10, where it says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So our service for the Lord will be judged by the Lord when we go to be with him. And, and we shouldn't think this strange or harsh. We see this in the world all the time. We see examples of it. Parents, parents give greater privileges and liberties to obedient children. Because you, there's a trust there. In the workplace, people that work actually work coming a lost thing. But people would actually work. You know what you know you know who gets the promotions? People that obey and work. They work. In other words, they 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 render their service well. And they are rewarded for it. And this is really what we're talking about here. We're not talking about, well, does God accept me as a as a child of God, am I saved? We're talking about, does God, is my labor agreeable or pleasing to God? That's what the word acceptable here really means. It means, is, is my labor pleasing? Uh, yeah, and we find examples of this in the scripture. In 1 Kings eleven twenty eight. actually this was Solomon uh, about Jeroboam. It says, and the man of Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing the man, young man that he was industrious. In other words, he was a hard worker. He was a very industrious. He could, he could, he could produce. He made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. So he made him the ruler over the tribe of Joseph. And we see the opposite of this. A losing of a reward, 1 Kings 15, 13. Also, Maka, this was, this is Asa. Maka, the, his mother, even her removed from being queen because she had made an idol in the grove. And Asa destroyed her idol and burned it by the brook, kindred. You know, she was still his mother. But there were consequences and loss of position and reward for her actions. Though she was still the king's mother. And so the Bible teaches that we will be rewarded for faithful service or we can lose those rewards. We're not all rewarded the same. You know, our world has this phony idea that if you'd make everybody's pay equal, we'd all be equal. But you could equalize everybody's, everybody's wealth in the world today. And by next Sunday there'd be vast differences. Because not everybody's ambitious. Not everybody will work. Some would just take that and sit on it, do nothing with it. And we find examples of that in the Bible. In Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 26, you have the parable of the paths. And, and, and this, this, Jesus is telling a story, and this is illustrative of, of, of uh, spiritual things, that you know uh, God... That the master gave to to three different people. He gave uh, he gave each a pound. One gained ten. One gained five. And one went and hid, buried his pound, and did nothing with it. That's what we see in our world today. You see, they were to serve the Lord with what was given them, and one of them, uh, the two of them, did gain with it, and they were commended. They were rewarded. The other one was. 
what he even had was taken away from him and given to the other one. He lost his reward. You see, we are to serve the Lord in a way that pleases the Lord, that is acceptable, that is, that is, that word acceptable there means well-pleasing. What is agreeable? Well, what constitutes service that is pleasing to the Lord? How can we serve? Well, first of all, it goes without saying, you must be a child of God. Except he might have been born again, he cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, he can't even comprehend it, he can't understand it. You're the one who buried his pound, revealed who he really was. He was not really a servant of the Lord. In fact, Matthew's gospel tells him he was cast out in doubt or darkness. You know, there are many who profess to be in the kingdom of God who are not truly born again. They're the tares among the wheat. You know, what does a servant do? Serve. Serve. That's what a servant does. He serves. He serves. And if we try to serve without being a true servant of God, it'll come to naught. In fact, the Bible says it's an abomination. Proverbs 15.8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. So if you think because of your service to God, God will not judge you as a sinner, that is abominable. No, we have to be born again. Or that my good works, like a lot of people think, well, my good works will somehow outweigh my bad, you know, and, and everything will be all right in the end. No, God says that's abominable. We must be born again. We must be a true servant of the Lord. Secondly, we must serve in obedience to the Master, to our Lord. Uh, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to they have done, whether it be good or bad. The word good here means what is upright, what is honorable, what is agreeable to God. Well-pleasing. For example, Colossians 3.20, the same word. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing. This is agreeable to God, that you obey your parents. Titus 2.9, exert servants to be obedient to their own masters, to please them well in all things. In other words, this is agreeable or this is acceptable to God. Not answering again. In other words, you don't oppose a command or speak against. If your parents tell you something, don't answer again. Don't argue with it. Obey it willingly. That's the idea of not answering again. The word bad, no, no, he says whether it be good or bad. The word bad here it refers to a mode of thinking, feeling, acting, that is wrong, that is wicked, that is opposed to truth. So to resort to human reasoning or invention in our service for the Lord is a process and a process of thinking and acting that is that is wrong, that's wicked. So as we think about service to our master, it needs to be done, number one, willingly. Willingly. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 17, Paul said this, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. If I don't do it willingly, there's no reward for me. 
if I do this thing willingly. Because this has been committed to me. As his servant, this has been committed to me. And I'm doing willingly. You when the Lord commanded Moses to gather materials for the tabernacle, he, he told Moses, tell the people, everyone that offers willingly. Willingly. And the Bible says that they brought willingly gold, silver, and, and badger skins, and goat skins, and all the things they needed the building of the tabernacle. They brought, they offered it willingly, and, and, they, and they finally had to say, it's enough, it's enough. You know, I remember being at a pastor's prayer breakfast one morning and a certain church, subject of a certain church in the area was brought up. And a good friend of the former pastor said this, that he, all, he fought constantly with those people over biblical standards and things. You know, the last I heard, that church is still that way. You know what the problem is? There's a lack of willingness to obey the Lord. If, there, if, you, if you do things in your service for the Lord just because, well, I guess I have to, there'll be no reward. God wants willing vessels. If you, be, if you give grudgingly, you might as well not give. He wants us to give willingly. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted to you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. He was willing to risk his own life for them to get the gospel to them. Willingly. He wrote in 1 Timothy 6.18, he was warning the rich, they that do good, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, that is willing to give. Hebrews 13.18, he says, pray for us, we trust to have a good conscience in all things, Willing to live honestly. You're the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. It says she worketh willingly with her hands. Paul and Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 2 that pastors are to feed the flock of God, which is mine, you taking the oath or sight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And of course, we know that Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. So we are to obey willingly. That's service that's pleasing to the Lord. Willing service. It is service that's obedient to his word. You know, verses 9 and 10 again says, we, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of, of Him. That is, be in agreement with Him. And how can we be in agreement with Him if we aren't in obedience to His Word? You know, it's, it's pleasing to us parents when our children simply obey our commands. In fact, that ought to be goal of every parent is to be able to control your child by your words. If you can control your child by your words, you have them in submission to you. But if you've got to beat it into them consistently, I mean, not that you won't ever have to spank them. 
because they are little sinners. And they got that from you. But, but you know, you know, but you, as a, as a general rule, they will obey your word. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Not argue. You know what that, that's what God wants from us. To simply obey His word. You, David wanted to please God. He wanted to bring the ark of God to its rightful place. That's a good thing, right? Oh yeah, it is. He had good motives. But he forgot something. He forgot to see how God said to move that ark. You don't put it on a brand new cart with a fresh yoke of oxen. As noble as that may sound in that day. No, you put two staves through each side, through those rings, and the Levites carry it. And no one touches it. The Bible says that God made a breach upon David. Of course, Uzzah was smitten dead. Why? Because he sought it not after the due order. He didn't do it according to the command of God. According to the Word of God. You see, if we want to be pleasing to God, we have to live our life, we have to do our service in, in, in accordance with the Word of God, under the direction of God's Word. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this judgment is more thoroughly explained for us in verses 11 through 15, where it says, Further foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Now, I want to point out a couple of things here. Is, first of all, the foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives two kinds of building that we can build. We can build gold, silver, precious stones, or we can build wood, hay, and stubble. I believe that the gold, silver, and precious stones, of course, that speaks of things that are lasting. It's going to, those things, everything's going to be tried by fire. And you know what happens to these things when, they're, when fire is put to them. But, but the point I'm going to make here is, if we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, he is what we are building on. We follow His directions. We are in obedience to His Word. We're building on His foundation. But if we decide, you know what, let's try seeker-sensitive. Let's, let's see what the people want. You know what we're building on? We're building on my foundation. Because that's not what God said to do. So we've stepped off the foundation that God has given us. And now we're building our own edifice, really. And it'll be wood, hay, stubble. I want you to think about those two things. The gold, silver, and precious stones, and the wood, hay, and stubble. And the Bible says the fire is going to try these of what sort they are. They're going to be tried, you know, they're going to be tested for what sort they are. That word sort means quality or manner of. And of course, quality determines value. 
if you take a bulk of wood, hay or stubble, and you put fire to it, what do you have left? Just a few little ashes that are basically worthless. You take gold, silver, and precious stones and you put fire to it. What's it do to it? It purifies it. It makes it more valuable. Now, wood, hay, and stubble is impressive in appearance. I mean, it's large. Let's take a ton of hay. I'm familiar with this. You know, we used to sell hay and straw on the farm. And I remember many a Wednesday morning loading up a pickup load of straw. My dad prided himself in his quality wheat straw. It was nice straw. You know, those bales weighed, they were probably about 14, 14 inches high, 18 inches wide, and about 36 inches long, and they weighed anywhere from uh, 30, around, probably average about 35 pounds each. And I would, I would often, you know, do the stacking on the, tr- on that Jeep pickup truck and put it on there and it'd stick out over the sides and we'd have the tailgate down and it was back as far as the tailgate. And so, you know, it would be 10 feet high and seven, eight feet wide and, and, you know, there might be 60 bales on there. And wait, just a little over a ton. We tie it down to the rope, take the sail barn. And you might get $75. That was pretty good back then for a load of straw. In fact, a load of hay, like now, around the ton is $125 to $150 a ton. And it's, that's pretty big, you know. Okay, you take a ton of gold. You know how big a ton of gold is? See this little stick? A cube measuring that every direction. A ton of gold. So it's this wide, this high, this deep, and it weighs a ton. Man, wouldn't I like to have a ton of that? <laughs> Do you know what that ton of gold is worth? $64.3 million. I mean, that load of hay is a lot bigger. It looks a lot more impressive. But it's just about worthless. Here's this little brick of gold. I wouldn't even be able to lift it. I'd have to have a crane to put it on the trick-up truck. And then it might go through the bed. See, a lot of things look impressive to people. A lot of churches look impressive to people. But it's God impressed. You know, many church programs are fo- are people focused. Churches ask, at least that's what they call them, churches. What do people desire? How do we establish relationships with people? It's all about people. How do we use the gifts that people have? And basically, what they mean by that is, how do we use the things that people enjoy for the Lord? They're not thinking about, are these talents that they have things that would please the Lord? After all, people enjoy rock music, beer drinking, and swimming. 
And so often, instead of lining ourselves and asking our question, are our likes in obedience to the word of God, we want to make God endorse and use our so-called God-given talents. So, CCM music. We can use rock music and just put some Christian words to it. We can have social drinking. Our churches are one after another going for social drinking. I know some that have you know, baptized in swimming pools and then have pool parties. In their swimsuits and nothing more than decorative underwear. You see, David thought that God was going to bless him because he was doing something that he thought was right. But boy, was he wrong. See, if we do something that we think is right, and it's not in agreement with the word of God, we're not going to receive a reward for it. We're going to be judged for it. Or, as the scripture says here, we're going to lose reward. Going to lose reward. You see, see, David really he was not building upon the right foundation. He wasn't building upon the word of God. So if you try to serve God your own way, the way you like, with whatever you like, the manner of living you like, and you're you're not building upon the foundation of Christ, it will come to naught. It'll be like that wood, hay, and the stubble that once it's burned, there's nothing left except a few ashes. In John chapter 12, verses 47 and 48, Jesus told the disciples, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him at the last day. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Preach the word, be instant, be in season, out of season. Because we're going to be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to judge the quick and the dead. In other words, those that are saved and those that are lost. We're going to face a judgment as his servants. And there will either be a reward given to you or you're going to lose what you could have received. John tells us in 2 John verses 6 through 8, 2 John verses 6 through 8, he says, And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full Paul said that he had a reward of righteousness that he was going to receive. And all those that love his appearing would receive it also. For his faithful service. So it must be according to the word. It must be under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. I've summed this up already by saying this, that Gold, silver, and precious stones will be done under the direction of the control of the Holy Spirit. And the woods, 
wood, hay, and stubble will what I do in my flesh, try and please the Lord. Flesh profiteth nothing. And so it must be in accordance with work. So he believed in the judgment to come. He also feared the Lord above all others. You know, because he believed his word, he feared the Lord above all others. Look at verse chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. See, he, he feared the Lord above all others. The word terror there means behavior coupled with reverence. It's a behavior. So, so this, this fear of God, this, this reverence that he had for God, affected his behavior toward God. That's the idea. Now, this is not the same as being afraid or scared to be around someone. Because after all, Paul walked in fellowship with the Lord. He knew the presence of God in his life. And he spoke of that in the book of Corinthians. You know, he, in, in 2 Corinthians 1, he talked about the God of all comfort and, and the God of all grace. And so, so it's not of that he was afraid or scared to be around God. It's just that it instilled in him a reverence for God that affected his behavior, his conduct. You know, when I was a child, if Dad told me to do something, there was a fear of not doing it. Now, did his commands scare me? No. If he said, you need to, you need to go feed, take some grain up to the heifers in the heifer pasture. Now, that didn't scare me. But there was a fear of not doing it. But I wasn't scared that he told me to go take grain to the heifers. That didn't scare me. But because I reverenced him or respected him, I did it. Now, it did have the potential of causing fear if I was disobedient. Because if I knew, I, I knew that if I disobeyed Dad, there was consequences. There was consequences. And that's how God wants us in relationship with Him. Go to Isaiah 66, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 66, verses 1 through 5, it says, Thus saith the Lord, The, heathen, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth the lamb is as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offered an oblation is as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighted in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions, and I will bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before mine eyes, and chose that in which they delight, I delight not. Hear the word of the Lord, 
ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out of my, for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to you, to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. So there was these people that, that gave lip service to God, but they were bringing these abominable sacrifices to God. You know why they were? Because they didn't tremble at his word. They had more respect to keeping their good, unblemished animals that was of more value to them than obeying the word of God. But see, when you tremble at, your, at the word of God, when you have reverence and respect for God, God's word is going to be most important to you. Not your wife, not your husband, not your children, not your friends. God is. God is. God is going to be most important to you. You're going to tremble at His word. Of course, you have a fear of not obeying it. But you know what? Perfect love casts out that fear. When you come to understand that God loves you, and that He expects what is best and, and, and desires what's best for you, you're going to come to love Him and want to please Him. And you'll not be afraid of obeying His Word. We will defer to Him. He will become preeminent. He'll become more important to others. His Word will be most important in our life. Psalm 99.7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. In Psalm 25, verses 12-14, through 14, the, 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 one of my favorite passages of Scripture where it says, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he, cho- he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease. Now, it seems like, now if somebody's afraid, would their soul be at ease? But so, God says, if a man fears me, his soul shall be at ease. In other words, he's going to trust, he's going to rest in God. It means that God has preeminence, is more important, he gives reverence to God over everything else or anyone else. That's what it means to fear God. See, Paul feared God more than he feared those that persecuted him more than the Jews who were out and killed. He feared God. See, he was ambitious. There's a third thing here. He was ambitious because the love of God was manifested for him. Verse 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. In other words, if Christ died for one, he died for everyone. That means everyone was dead in trespasses and sins. Every person born in this world is dead in trespasses and sins. We're all sinners. Christ died for every man. And that he died for all, that they which live, those that have been given life, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. See, the love of God was manifested in him. It constrained him. It urged him. It impelled him. It had a hold on his life. And that love of God manifested uh, in him uh, uh, pressed him on in giving, offering salvation to everyone that he met. 
fact, there's an interesting statement there in verse 13. that says, whether we be beside ourselves, that means, that word beside itself, it means that he, uh, he was uh, insane or out of his mind. You know, Paul, was it Felix or King Agrippa said, Paul, you're, you're beside yourself, but you're out of your mind. And, you know, if you look at it from simply life under the sun or simply from a human standpoint, you would have said, Paul, Paul, you're a fanatic. You're a crazy man. Why would you go from city to city having people following you that want to kill you? And why would you continue in this? Just quit. And they'll quit. No. The love of Christ. He had been set free from his sin. He had received the love of God. Though he was a blasphemer and a persecutor, he had received that love of God. See, he understood the depravity of his own heart and the depth of God's love for him. And, and too often we fail to see the wickedness and rebellion of our own hearts. And as a result, we don't properly value the love that a righteous God has for us. Luke 7, there was a lady who was a sinner brought an alabaster box, poured it on Jesus' feet, and began to wipe it with his hair. And the Pharisee says, Does this man not know that this woman is a sinner? And Jesus said, She had been forgiven much, therefore she loved much. Not much. You know, Paul had been forgiven much. But you and I have been forgiven much too. And this love that burned in Paul's heart manifested itself to sinners. To the pagan Gentiles beyond Antioch. To the Jews who tried to kill him. You see, Paul believed, and Paul believed God that he understood the peril of sinners whether it was Jew or Gentile, that death and hell awaited them, the lake of fire awaited them, that didn't come to God by repentance. And so he was willing to go to extreme measures to give out the gospel. Romans 9.1, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continue sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kindred, according to the flesh. Chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. In Acts 26, 20, poor Agrippa, he says, but he showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. See, this love of God burned in his heart. It compelled him. It drove him. See, he understood that it was for the cause, not only for God's glory, but for the cause of those people who were lost and in sin. Even in 2 Timothy 4.17, as he's nearing death, he knows his time is about is short. He says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. 
Yet Paul was a very ambitious servant of the Lord because he believed what God said. He believed there was a judgment to come. He believed he was going to give an account for his life. He also understood and believed that the love of God had been manifested to him. He had an obligation to manifest that same love to those who hated him. Who hated him. What is your ambition? What drives you? Is it belief in the word of God? Or is it fear of what others is it a love for God that will compel you to witness to those, not only your friends, but even those that don't like you? To manifest His love to them. This is what true service of the Lord is love your enemies. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Ambitious. Where are your ambitions?